0: all right our scripture passage this morning is back into the book of second samuel um if you have been here you know that we have been going through oh i would say a, a shortened series on the life of uh, king david um, if we were to go through every aspect of the scripture's teaching on david we would be here for a number of months i've just chosen to highlight a few things in david's life and if you remember. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the meteoric fall of King David and how David, from the standpoint of the Bible, was known as a man after God's own heart. He was, in contrast to many kings in Israel and Judah, uh, really a, a righteous and a just king who did not serve himself, but he served the people of God. And that was a, that's a beautiful thing to behold. But it doesn't mean that David was perfect, uh, indeed far from it. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we saw this kind of meteoric fall of King David into the depths of murder and adultery and lies and deceit and manipulation and everything ugly. If you were here last week, you'll remember how God sent a prophet named Nathan to David in order to confront David with what happened. And rather than making an excuse for what he did or denying it, what David did is he came clean before the prophet Nathan and came clean before God, confessed his sin, and God said, you know, you are forgiven, but that doesn't mean that there are not certain consequences that you and also your kingdom are going to have to bear in the years to come. Well, all right, now we come to the passage of 2 Samuel chapter 13. And we see one of those consequences uh, in the life of David's oldest son, uh, Amnon. And I'm just going to give you a heads up. This, this is a really dark story that we're going to read. Uh, it is, you could even maybe put it this way, R-rated. But, you know, what's, what's interesting about the Bible is that the Bible never sugarcoats things. You know? The Bible deals with reality, and reality sometimes is really seedy and really ugly, which is a reminder to us of why we all need Jesus. right? So, 2 uh, Samuel chapter 13. Now, Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man and he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill, and when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill, and when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please, please, Let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat it from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no. No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up. Go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this is wrong in sending me away. It's greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So a servant put her out, bolted door after her, and Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, "Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister." He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, in her brother Absalom's house. And when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. And that's where we're going to end our reading and I'll take note of some of the things that happened in the remainder of the chapter but for, for now let's just want to read this portion of the Bible man how would you how would you preach this Or well, let's say you're leading a Bible study you know and we're going to say okay we're going to, we're going to study 2 Samuel chapter 13 what are you going to do with this um, are you just going to give examples of what not to do you know beware of this beware of murder and beware of uh, sexual immorality and beware of incest and these kinds of things. And if that's the case, um, and if it's true, as Jesus says, that the whole Bible points to him, how are you going to bring Jesus into this? Because I'm telling you, you take a look at this chapter, I mean, you heard it, but when you really dive into it and you got to prep for it and you got to preach on it, I'll tell you, you look at that, there's no light in this. There's There's no redemptive feature in this story. I mean, it's bad. You got lust, you got uh, rape, you have incest, you have murder, um, you got deceitful scheming. I mean, it's, it's ugly all the way around, right? And you, you, you look at a story like this and there's just there's something in you and i oftentimes think of not only christians when they read the bible but people who would not even claim that they were christians when they read the bible and and you just look at that and i think a christian and a non-christian could agree that this whole story is just really crying out for for some good news right crying out for something or or really someone to come and just kinda dispel all this garbage and all the smell and all the darkness and heal the wounds that are in this story and just make everything right I want you to to tuck that in your head right as as we we take a look at the story now um it is not an envious task to preach on this passage in in the sense that as i said it's it's an r-rated passage but you know when you read the bible it it's, it's kind of careful what it says but at the same time it doesn't pull back from from reality and a lot of the sexual especially muck that we find and the hatred and the revenge that we find in the world the sad thing however is that it's it's all here among the people of God, you know. It shouldn't be here, but oftentimes what we find in the world and what we what we see on Netflix and Amazon Prime or whatever you watch is kind of it filters in to the church. It filters into the people of God and it kind of filters into our lives, doesn't it? let's take a look at the story and 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 kids, I'm gonna I want I want you to try to follow this story and I'm gonna kinda be careful, but at the same time I'm not gonna hold back. Okay, so I want you to listen to the story. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to to bring us through this story and and touch on some highlights in the story, and then we're going to end with Jesus. Okay? So in this story, every story, kids, every story has characters in the story. I don't care whatever story you read. There's always characters in the story. And you find the characters in the story in the opening verses of this passage, right? So... What you find is you find, well, before I get into a key figure in the story named Amnon, David's oldest son, really we need to understand regarding the story that this story is ultimately about David, King David. Now, he plays a minor role, and he plays a rather passive role, but nonetheless, it's primarily a story about him and his kingdom and where his kingdom is heading, and it ain't pretty. It's all very dark. And you remember, if you were here last week, that God promised David forgiveness, but he also said, but you know what, there are consequences to sin. Boy, don't we know that. You know, sometimes we involve our things in, in early days of our lives, or when we're young, we're in our teenage years, or our 20s, and, and we're, maybe we're in our 30s, or 40s, or 50s, or even more, and we still, maybe still deal with some of the consequences of that. Well, so it is with David, Okay? And this is a story where the kingdom is heading, and it's not good, and David is paying the consequences of his sin in the lives of his children. Now, let's get to the children. You have Amnon, who's David's oldest son, and then you have another key figure in the story, and that's Tamar. And Tamar is his sister, but technically she's a half-sister. So, kids, what I mean by that is that she's not a full-blooded sister in a sense. So she has... This is how I'll explain it. Tamar and Absalom have the same dad, but they don't have the same mom, because David had a number of wives. Okay, so she's a half-sister. So you got Amnon, but she's still a sister, and you got a half-sister, Tamar, and then you have Absalom, who's the third oldest son of David, and then finally you have this man named Jonadab, and he's, he's the nephew of David. So why do I take just a couple minutes to explain that? Just to remind us that It's all in the family here. It's not like you have different people from the kingdom acting in certain roles here. It's all in the family. And that's what makes this kind of creepy. Okay? So the story begins with with Amnon. And Amnon, the Bible says, is is pining after his half-sister Tamar. Because it means he's, he's really in his heart. He's really stirred up. Because because he really, likes, he really likes his half-sister, Tamar, in a way that's not appropriate. Okay? He, he loves her. And this is, has developed over time. So he sets his affections on her, and he really wants his half-sister, and he wants to do some bad things with her. Okay? So he's thinking about this, and, and, and he, he loves her, loves her, obsessively, possessively, incestuously. And that's what makes the story so revolting, obviously. Now, um, it's very interesting, isn't it, that in the society in which we live, that is becoming more and more sexually expressive and permissive, that almost anything goes, but isn't it interesting that even people who are not part of the church know that there are certain areas that you don't go into, right? Like what we call, I'm not going to explain it, but adults know this, pedophilia, or, or polygamy. Polygamy means that you are a man who maybe has three or four or five wives, right? You don't go there. Or even in the case of incest, right? Where you have certain affections for your sister or for your brother. That's that. Even the people in the world go, eh, we don't go there, that's just unnatural. And of course, Christians would say the same thing. That doesn't mean that these kinds of things don't happen in the church, however, and among the people of God. They do, and... I don't know all your stories, but maybe some of the things that happen in the story go, sadly, that has happened to me. Doesn't mean you're without hope. Just means that maybe there's some continued consequences that you deal with. We're just gonna be open with that, right? Well, anyway, we have Amnon and he he wants his sister. Well, enter in another character in the story as we move on, and that is Jonadab, and that's David's nephew. And Jonadab notices Amnon. He notices that he's not happy, and he, he, he observes Amnon day after day, and he goes, boy, there's something wrong with him. So he asks Amnon, hey, what's the problem? What's going on? Why are you, why are you so down? Why are you so depressed? And Amnon, Amnon uh, he just comes out with it, and he says, I'm, I'm in love. I love my sister Tamar. And... And Jonadab, right, Jonadab, rather than going, oh, really? You know, that's, and rather than saying to himself, this is really revolting. Jonadab doesn't do that. Because Jonadab, in the passage, if you notice, is known, the word used here in our English text is crafty. Some other English translations use the word shrewd. What that that really tells us, kids, is that when, when it says Jonadab was a shrewd man, that means that he was really bright, he's very intelligent, and he's very strategic in getting what he wants, but but he didn't work with any parameters. He he worked without restraint. There was, in other words, there was nothing holding him back from really doing bad things. Okay? So so this is this is this is this is Jonadab. And, and by the way, you find Jonadabs in the world around us too, especially in the business world, where you've got very highly intelligent individuals, have a great business sense, great business savvy, very strategic in building a business, and sometimes what they'll do is they'll do it on the backs of other people because they lack restraint. They're people without parameters. This is Jonadab. So, Jonadab says to Amnon, what's going on? He explains, I'm in love with my sister Tamar, and rather than thinking to himself, this is really revolting and backing off of this, basically, he enters into a plot with Amnon to get Tamar. And he basically says to Amnon, hey, Amnon, I mean, really, what's what's royal blood anyway if it doesn't bring certain privileges, right? You want Tamar? Well, then, let's do this. So this is what happens next. Jonadab's a thinker. Amnon's the luster. <laughs> and Jonadab is the thinker and the, and, and the strategist. And he says to Amnon, okay, this is, what, this is what needs to go down. What you need to do is you need to lie down and you need to fake that you're sick. Kids, I don't know if you've ever faked that you were sick to get something you wanted, but this, was, this is what Jonadab's telling Amnon to do. He says, you, you pretend you're sick, and lie down, and then what's going to happen is your dad, that's King David, he's going to come and visit you and see what's wrong, and what I want you to do is I want you to tell him this, tell him that you're not feeling well, and ask him to send his daughter, your sister, Tamar, to take care of you and to prepare some food and put some nourishment in you to get better. So this is just exactly what happened. David visits Amnon, he's pretending to be sick, and he explains this all, and David doesn't see anything amiss, he's not suspecting anything, right? So he goes to Tamar, and he says, okay, what you need to do is your brother's sick, why don't you take care of him, all right? Make some food for him. It's exactly what she does. Now I want you to notice, if you have your Bibles, um, or maybe you can put it on the overhead, verses 8 through 10, okay, 8 through 10. I want you to notice here in the story how the story starts going into slow motion. Slows down. Look at 8, verse 10. Here's Tamar going to make food for Amnon. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. And Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat it from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. Now, I think if you and I were writing a story or explaining a story we would say these are kind of extraneous details. They're not all that important. So so she's making bread. What's the big deal? Why why include all the steps of making the bread? Right? And I want to suggest to you that what the writer is doing here, he's he's using a literary device whereby he's building suspense. So when you take a look at this, it says, so Tamar went to her brothers Amnon's house, number one, where he was lying down. Number two, she took the dough. Number three, she kneaded it. Number four, she made the cakes in his sight. Notice that, in his sight. And then she baked the cakes. And then she took the pan and emptied it out before him. Like all these steps, is like six, seven, eight different steps. But here's the point. And how long does this take? Hour and a half, two hours, I don't know. But this whole time, the Bible is very clear that he's watching her. He's watching her. And what's happening is this, 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 this desire for Tamar through each step is being built bigger and bigger and bigger. It's all very incremental until he can't help himself. And Tamar brings the food to him, and then we find those shocking words, come lie with me, my sister. Now, Yeah, kids, he, he, he wanted more from her than just to lay next to him, okay? I'm not going to go into all the other things. But as adults, we know what, what's going on here. And he says, come lie with me. And, and the thing is, he doesn't say, and I'm following this story because I want us to notice the language here very carefully. He says, he just doesn't say, come lie with me, but he goes, "Can come lie with me, my sister. Which the ew factor begins to build up in the reader. And in the listener. And Tamar is as shocked in a sense as the reader. And her, her immediate reaction is not, well, you know, maybe this might, no. She goes, no, 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 don't, don't do this outrageous thing. Don't, don't go there. And I'll tell you why you shouldn't go there. For my sake and your sake, for my sake, because of the reputation I am going to receive as a result of this, but also for your sake, because if you do this, you're going to be known, if you look at the text it says, you're going to be known as, and here's the label, an outrageous fool in Israel. An outrageous fool. Now, when we think of a fool, we think of someone like, you go, man, that guy was a fool. We're saying, he's not really intelligent, and he made a series of decisions that were really kind of stupid. That's the way we oftentimes interpret fool. A fool in the Bible and in the Hebrew language here is is not just one who makes a bad decision, but one who makes a bad decision in the direction of going into an arena of depravity and darkness that most other people don't go. Okay? Okay. It's kind of like, um, if you've been following the story of the last couple of years, I mean, he's, he's gone now, but the whole Jeffrey Epstein story, I don't know if you followed that, when people hear Jeffrey Epstein, you know, they're kind of going. There's a, there's, a, there's a guy like Jonadab and like Amnon to combine, where he was a very intelligent guy. He was an instructor, and he was a strategist, and he was a narcissist, and he was accustomed to getting what he wanted and knew how to go there. But he's a guy who had no parameters like Amnon, like Jan- John Adept, no parameters and, 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 and um, uh, uh, Tamar stuck right? because he's bigger and stronger than she is and she's thinking how can I get out of this and she even goes and says um, now therefore please speak to the king for he will not withhold you from me it's like, don't, don't do this thing to me, don't, don't violate me, first go ask the king, and he'll, he'll, he'll give me to you. I think what she was doing there is, she's, she's trying anything to get out of this situation, anything. She's, she's, uh, she's desperate. But then we come to verse 14, but he would not listen to her, and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her, which, of course, we understand is being raped. So she was raped. Now, bear in mind, and I don't want to repeat this, this, this is not something that happened in a dark corner of a subway somewhere in New York City. Okay? This, is, this is not something that, that happened in a dark alleyway somewhere in Toronto or Vancouver. Man, this happened right at the center of the kingdom of God. And as soon as Amnon did his dirty business, it's very interesting in this story. We get the response from Amnon. And the Bible says, and he hated. After violating her, the first thing it says is, he hated her, and oh, he hated her with a hatred that was greater than the love with which he loved her. And you go, what's going on there? I want to submit to you that we're getting into a psychology of a rapist. The psychology of a rapist is this, a woman isn't really a woman, she's ultimately just an object. And most rapists are power hungry, and they are narcissistic, they are self-absorbed, so when an individual violates a woman like that, he's exercising ultimately not love, but his power over this woman, and he views her simply as his object. And we, we, we know that because when it says that he hated her, he said after that, he says, get out of here. I don't even want to see you. Get out. And she says, no, I, no she didn't want to do that. Not like she liked the idea of remaining with her rapist, but she, she felt that she just, she, she, she couldn't expose herself. You know, she's traumatized at this point. But then he calls in, he calls an assistant, and he says, and this is where we get his view of Tamar as an object. That's how sick this is. He says to his attendant, get in here. What I want you to do is I want you to take her, get her out of here, and lock the door. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew language, the word woman here, like take this woman, get her out of here, right? The word woman's not even here in the original language. It's missing. It's like, get it out of here. Get this out of here. Because she's an object. who received the brunt of his power and his depravity. So, as we start coming to the end of the story, she leaves his presence. She has no choice. and She goes out. And she puts ashes on her head. And what she does is she tears her robe as a symbol of being torn herself and being violated, raped. And Amnon sees her in time. And Amnon knows exactly what's happened. Knows exactly what's happened. And he tries to comfort her. But how do you comfort someone like that who's just been traumatized? And then one final thing, David in time hears about this as well. Now remember, Tamar is his daughter. And what is David's response? David's response is, he's just, it doesn't say he's sad. It says he's mad. He's really mad. He's really angry. But the text says this, verse 21, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry and and what? See? And what? And, and And the what is... It says nothing. It's like David's really angry, but but he does nothing, apparently, because the text certainly doesn't say that. Now imagine this. He's the king. He's the kingly, he has a kingly scepter in one hand and the law of God in the other, but he does nothing. And Absalom notices this. And it's not explicit in the text, but you can guarantee what's going on. Absalom observes this. He sees the passivity of his own father and basically says, Okay, Dad, if you're not going to do something, I am. And I'm going to bring justice to the situation. And he harbors a heart of revenge. And then we read in the rest of the chapter how he, he plots with a number of men to kill Amnon. And he says, basically how this is going down, we're going to invite Amnon over, and what we're going to do is we're going to get him drunked up, we're going to get him a little loose, you know, and lose his inhibitions, and then when his inhibitions are down, then I, when I give you the cue, you guys are going to go and you are going to kill him. It's exactly what happened. And Amnon is murdered. And not only is Amnon murdered, but after that, Absalom himself has to flee because of what he did because he knew that his father would not be happy with that either. Everything, everything is dark and everything is messy because you know what? Sin is messy. Sin is messy. And everything is dark. And like I said, whether a person is a Christian or a non-Christian, it's like, it's like you're, you're watching this dark movie together and you're sitting there, and we've all seen these kinds of movies where it gets darker and darker, and, and what's going on inside? And again, if you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you're both, you're both wanting a happy ending. You're both wanting some kind of resolution to the story. You want some kind of justice to bear. You want some, something to happen or someone to come and make it all good and to make things all right. This very story, as seedy and icky as it is, is a reflection of the world you and I live with, live in. And you know what? This is not the only story like this in the Bible. There are many stories like this in the Bible of various degrees of different kinds of depravity. And you, you, you have to ask yourself the question, why are these stories in this book? someone reading the first bible for the first time or maybe not very familiar with this book are reading this and over and over again they read these things and like why is that here let me tell you why it's here it's here to describe the world we live in it's here so that we don't look at the world through rose-colored glasses as christians no we need to deal with the world as it is and it's a dark world and it's a bad world and the whole world is out there, but actually, actually, if we're honest with ourselves, that world filters into here so that together with the world we say, who is this person? Who is this source of redemption and light and good news that that can provide an answer to all of this? And that's why Christians are always talking about Jesus because Jesus is that person and he's the only one. God chose to send him into this world to deal with stuff like this. So I want us to be honest with ourselves, and I want us to be honest with this story and realize ultimately as we read this story that um, the story is ultimately about us, every one of us. I find sometimes in our circles we have this idea of the world primarily not as an opportunity for us but as an obstacle. We look at all the things that are happening in the world and we need to guard ourselves against what's going on in the world and we need to preserve what we have. Well, there's a real truth to that, right? But it's this dark world that also needs to come into the very presence of the very one who we worship every Sunday so that they may know the kind of answer to the kind of depravity that we find in the story and in their own lives and our own lives and we need we need we need not just to look at the bad bad world out there but we need to turn around and look at the bad bad us the world needs grace and we need grace right now you and I will look at the story and, and and it'd be very easy for us to say well you know what um I I haven't done these things. I haven't murdered someone. I haven't raped someone. I haven't maybe fallen into some kind of incestuous activity or I wasn't shrewd like Jonadab or maybe I wasn't passive like David, you know, just turning a blind eye to the bad around. I haven't done these things. You know what? Yeah, you have. Yes, you have. You may not have done the action, but the very condition and the very nature of these things that reside in the human heart Oh, you better believe. Fundamentally, we're all Amnons. And we're all Jonadabs and we're all David's and we're all Absaloms. Am I making this up? Or is this the teaching of Jesus? You put up the Matthew there. Look what Jesus says. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Not just some, all. Murder. Oh, there it is. Adultery. Sexual immorality. Theft, false witness and slander. These are what defile a person. Are you reading yourself? Am I reading myself in that? Go to Romans, if you would, the next one, please. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands, who seeks after God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. Their throat is an empty grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of snakes is under their lips, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, that's, that's, that's the reality we present to the world. And some people can be offended by that. And we have to say, sorry, but it's the reality. And we all struggle with this. So, I want to leave you this. The simple truth is we all need Jesus. And the good news of the Bible is this. For all of us here this morning who are willing to come to grips with this and understand this and accept this and confess this with our lips, we need to understand that it is there Jesus in the center, as the center of history in the center of people's lives is Jesus who is willing to receive such individuals we got a lot of sin here brothers and sisters it's all in our hearts and examine yourselves over even the past week and you know what maybe you have not committed incest or rape but maybe you have been the victim of such we all don't know our stories but we're all in need every one of us kids you are in need you need Jesus you need Jesus Jesus puts it this way. He says, all whom the Father has given me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, he says, I will not cast out. There is no sin so great that Jesus will go, you know what? I'm sorry you went too far and you've crossed the line. No hope for you. Too bad. All sinners who come to him, he receives and he does not cast away. Indeed, Jesus says, come. Come to me and I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and I will wash your sins away to my own blood and I will remember your sins no more. Because you know who I am, says Jesus? I'm David's greater son. And all of David's kingdom is pointing forward to me. And when you come to me, indeed, you will not be sad, but you will sing hallelujah. And you will weep no more. That is the good news of this passage. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the gospel. Lord, we just say that every week. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the gospel of grace. Thank you for sending Jesus into this world. Lord, we all need him. And Lord, it is my prayer here this morning on behalf of all of us here, that you would draw us collectively to this Jesus. It doesn't matter, Lord, if we're middle-aged years or younger, even if we're a child. Lord, help us to flee, to flee into the arms of Jesus ourselves. And then having received grace, not shut our lips, O God, to this beauty, but profess it before the world, that others may enter into this grace as well. God, grant that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's sing. Uh, Next in response is going to be hymn 81.